Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning in. Great conversation today with leadership consultant Dave Burke. He's a leadership consultant with Echelon Front. Echelon Front is Jocko Willink's company. He has a, uh, maybe you've heard of the podcast, the Jocko Podcast, which is one of the best out there. So between this, Dose of Leadership, and the Jocko Podcast, tons of great leadership resources. I highly encourage you to listen to that show. It's one of my favorite podcasts out there. And uh, Dave works for them. Now, Dave is a retired Marine Corps officer. That's how I got to know him. And obviously, we've had some great conversations, Marine to Marine, talking about our experiences in the Marine Corps and how they apply towards business and life. And that's what this conversation is all about. You're really going to enjoy this. I, of course, obviously nav- naturally gravitate towards other Marine Corps officers. And, and uh, Dave is uh, also a combat vet. He was an F-18 pilot. And he deployed twice in support of combat operations in Iraq and Afghanistan. He spent three years as an instructor pilot at Top Gun, where he was dual qualified in the F-16 Fighting Falcon and served as a training officer. And uh, he was a senior staff pilot responsible for conduct of the Top Gun course. He was also a forward air controller supporting the Army's 1st Armored Division during extensive urban combat operations in Ramadi, Iraq in 2006. That's when he met Jocko. And he was the only Marine selected to fly the F-22 Raptor, having served as an exchange officer in the uh, with the Air Force. And he became the first pilot ever, operational pilot, to ever fly and be qualified in the F-35 Bravo, which is a, the brand new uh, Marine Corps aircraft. Uh, Air Force flies him too, and he was the commanding officer of the Marine Corps' first F-35 squadron in 2012 and 2014. So he is a leadership expert, my friends. He's been there and he's done that. And uh, we really get into it in this conversation. It's probably one of my favorite conversations I've had in a while. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy it too. This show is brought to you by my good friends at FreshBooks. You know, I saw a, um article today um, that said that uh, in Britain anyway, they did a survey that for the first time ever, uh, kids aren't picking the traditional, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they've been picking, you know, singer, athlete, professional soccer player, football player, whatever the case may be. And now entrepreneurship and being self-employed is ranking at the top. I think that's great. You know, it's five, 10 years ago, it was almost weird that someone was thought of working for themselves. But today, one in three Americans are self-employed. Do you believe that? The the problem is the world really hasn't caught up and wasn't built for the self-employed, but FreshBooks gets it. You know, instead of using the old kind of standbys of banks, retirement savings, employment insurance, accounting services, well, FreshBooks has innovated, stepped up, and provided a new solution for freelancers, entrepreneurs, people like you and like me to help uh, deal with this rapidly changing market. And FreshBooks has made a ridiculously easy accounting software and I'll talk to you more about it halfway through the show. But in the meantime, you can go to my website and you can click on the FreshBooks logo uh, in the sidebar and on any of the sidebars of the uh, post that you see. And uh, they got a unrestricted 30-day unrestricted free trial for all of you out there just to claim it. Go to FreshBooks.com slash dose and enter dose of leadership. And how did you hear about us? And again, halfway through the show, I'll give you a little more extensive details about FreshBooks. All right. 
Thanks for tuning into the show. Thanks for being a fan of the show. Couldn't do it without you. And here's a fantastic conversation with retired Marine Corps officer and combat veteran Dave Burke here on Dose of Leadership. Well, Dave, it's so honored to have you on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership, my friend. It's great to be here, Rich. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I love talking to Marines, of course. You know, I've had, had a couple conversations on the phone and, and, you know, we could probably, I think it was in that first conversation I was having it with you, I realized I got to start recording some of this because this is some leadership gold as we're talking on the phone. So I'm excited <laughs> to finally have you on the show. I know you and I have been playing phone tag forever. So thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, for sure. I remember that first conversation as well. I'm glad we finally made the connection. You know, and... and the aviation side, you know, we were talking a little bit even before we started recording, and um, I, I think aviation is unique when it comes to decision-making and leadership. I know it has served me well, tremendously well. I think any modicum of success that I've had in the corporate arena or in the entrepreneurship front, I can steer back towards the aviation side and the Marine Corps too, but really the aviation side and being an aviator, it's helped me tremendously. How has it helped you? Look, I agree with you. We, we were talking, I think, before about how leadership and making decisions is really universal, uh, you know, and that the things that make you good in an airplane make you good everywhere. And uh, the, the qualities and skills of being a good leader are, are, are really translate really well everywhere. But the things thing I thought about about aviation is that what's unique about it, especially, you know, I grew up as a single seat pilot. I was in an airplane by myself. Uh, you know, you do training, you get a flight instructor, but ultimately when, when you finally hit the fleet and start flying airplanes, combat capable airplanes, I was a single seat guy my whole career. And what it really forces you to do is getting comfortable with making decisions and having those decisions affect a whole bunch of other people, but you're not there to uh, solicit everybody's opinion all the time. And sometimes you can't collaborate it the way you'd like to. Sometimes you can't stop or slow down or collect all the data. Uh, and sometimes you're going to have imperfect amount of information. And sometimes you're going to have information that you really, you're not going to have information you really want, but you got to make decisions, uh, especially flying fighters. When things are moving so fast, you just start getting comfortable with making decisions while you're uncomfortable. And, you know, as you might guess, you, you screwed up quite a bit early on in your career. Uh, but every bit as much of, of making decisions is about being comfortable with, Hey, I'm about to do something here that's going to affect everybody around me. I got to get used to it. I got to get comfortable with it. And if you don't make a decision in an airplane, it's going to spell doom for you and the people around you. You simply can't just sit there and drone on uh, in a jet uh, contemplating what to do very long uh, before it ends poorly for you. So you got to make decisions and you got to get used to it. Well said. And I think that a lot of times that we, we, contend or we believe that to make a decision we got to have this comfort level and the comfort the fear and uncertainty never goes away in fact it's it's tantamount i think to significant decisions the more significant the more impactful the decision or the bigger the bigger the um kind of result of the the bigger the fear and the uncertainty is going to be um in front of you so you have to get used to that uncomfortableness as you're saying that is just the byproduct of significant decisions would you agree yeah, you said it perfectly well. If you're not uncomfortable with your decisions, you're not making hard decisions. Uh, and it's the idea of growing to get comfortable uh, making hard decisions really means get comfortable being uncomfortable. Right, exactly. Uh, there's, yeah, there's no way around that. And so if you're not uncomfortable anymore, uh, you're not making difficult enough decisions or you're not making hard decisions anymore. So it's not about hey, I've gotten used to it and I'm not, I'm not uncomfortable anymore. It's the actual. It's the actual opposite. It's 
I am now used to being uncomfortable. That's just a state of uh, mind I've got to be in uh, because the environment I'm in is dynamic and I'm going to inf- uh, impact a lot of people and the decisions I make will affect uh, the success or failure uh, of what we're working on. And that should make you uncomfortable, but you got to get used to it and you got to power through it and make decisions anyway. Yeah. And it's the whole idea of um, being that calming force within that uncomfortableness is what separates you or even defines you as a leader, I think. And so the fear and the uncertainty, if you want to look at it that way of leadership, it gives you job security. And if you can be that, it can be that composed, confident, consistent and courageous force. Well, then, then that's what leadership is all about. And so I think a lot of times, though, we, and I and you and I were even talking a little bit about this, that when I talk about kind of the skill set that I learned from aviation, it makes for a cool story and people like the stories that I share with them. And I'm sure you've got a gazillion of them. But then they said, yeah, but that's unique and that's new. But that's, that doesn't apply to what I do and what I try to emphasize that, look, the skills that they taught me to be an effective aviator are simple skills that you can use in everyday life. Um, it, it, does that make sense? I mean, that's, that's kind of been the struggle I have when I've tried to communicate that, that sometimes the sexiness of the aviation gets in the way of the practicality of, of the tools that allow you to, to be that way. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think sometimes people get enamored with the environment. They see a jet, uh, you know, they think of the Blue Angels, they think of air shows, and they think of this really dynamic, uh, exciting and alluring environment. And, and it certainly can be those things at times. Absolutely. But, you know, the best thing I think to do is for people to look at it as a profession. And, and, and the business I'm in now, and we talk to companies, we talk to people all the time about the lessons we've learned from aviation, the lessons we learned from the military, lessons we learned from combat. Uh, one of the things you have to do early on is sort of dispel the myth that it's different. It certainly looks different. The environment maybe uh, and the setting may be a little bit different, but the process to make decisions, the qualities you need to make good decisions, uh, they're all the same. And yeah, I think it's important, but important to strip away that veneer of, uh, you know, that it's, that it's different. It, it's not, it's exactly the same. And, and the qualities we talked about, you know, something you have to do in an airplane, when you make a decision, you got to relax, you got to calm down, you got to slow down got to think about the things you're going to say before you say it. Uh, and I can't think of any setting where that isn't a good way to do business exactly. regardless. Uh, well, yeah. And I think particularly, and if you look at even like um, in ground combat, even in the, in the Marine Corps, or just combat in general, it's a, it's a dynamic, asymmetric, um, complex, unforgiving environment. And so if you can learn how to effectively thrive in that environment, you can take a page out of that playbook and apply it to, you know, procuring, um, product from a company in China. You know, it doesn't matter what you're trying to do. Those, those, those basics are the same. And I think, I think we spend a lot of time, energy and resources. And I, and I'm not a big fan. I tell you of the kind of the management flavor of the month, management techniques, I suppose they serve their purpose in quality production environments, you know, the six Sigma, the black melt and all that voodoo stuff. Yeah. I, I've really steered myself away from all of that because it, it takes itself away from the basic common sense leadership principles that nobody invented. They just kind of, they exist. Um, and I think if you can tap into that common sense, uh, leadership, um, uh, concepts, but more particularly, I think the biggest bang for your buck for all struggling organizations, leaders out there is the decision-making piece. If you can figure out a way to make a decision with partial information, you will move the needle tremendously. I think that is if the cliche low hanging fruit. If you want to start making an impact today, what are your thoughts? I think you're spot on and kind of, and speaking of both of those things, um, 
look, leadership is simple. Now that doesn't mean it's not, it's not hard to do. It's, it's very hard to do, but leadership decisions, you can boil things down to relatively simple concepts. Uh, you got to build a good team. You got to take care of each other. Um, you got to have simple plans that people understand. Um, you got to take responsibility for the outcome. You know, when you look at dissecting problems that companies have or individuals have, the problems themselves may be dynamic and they be, may be challenging, but the solutions to that as it centers around leadership and leadership is the thing that matters the most, the solutions are always simple. The problem is, is they're really hard to do. They're really hard to execute. Uh, but in terms of understanding what to do, uh, a lot of times we find ourselves overthinking. We're looking for a, a process or we're looking for a matrix or some other methodology to come to the conclusion. Uh, when the answer is, like you said, it's just you need to lead. And look, it's great. And I, I love that people uh, devote so much time and energy. And there's so many great books out there about ways to optimize your performance. I think that's important. And being a good manager is a critical skill. But what I've found, uh, and, and I've dealt with a lot of companies uh, and, and, and individuals as well, people don't like to take action. They don't like to do the work because once you start to act on those decisions, you take ownership of that. And that can be right. challenging. You're, you're at risk then. You know, you're going to get held accountable for what happens. And, and you and I grew, grew up with the, uh, with the OODA loop. You know, John Boyd's process of making decisions in airplane was observe, orient, decide, act. And it's just the idea of looking at the world around you, getting oriented to it, making decisions and taking actions. And the more you do it, the, the faster it gets and the better you'll be. Uh, and we could talk hours on that. But in this modern era, Rich, there's so much information out there. We, we get this idea that we need more information. We need more data. We need to run the numbers again or, or think about it just once more time, one more time. And what we fail to do is just take action and just do something. And even if it ends up being the wrong decision and the outcome, you learn from it and you get better, you get faster at it. Uh, it's the companies that are out there just doing. Uh, those are the ones that end up being successful uh, much faster than the ones that stop or slow down uh, or, or take a knee and wait for the world around or pass them by. And that kind of leads back to what we talked about at the beginning about what aviation taught me. You got to You got to take action. You got to make decisions and implement. Yeah. And I think it's getting comfortable with the fact that the decision you make isn't, is, is in all likelihood probably not going to be fatal. And I think that's a, a lot of times we feel like what we need. And I've heard this in the corporate arena. I've heard this more than I did in the military that uh, we, we just can't afford to fail. Yeah. I, I can't afford to be wrong. I'm like, I disagree with you. I said, you can afford to fail. You just can't be fatal, you know? And, and they said, yeah. and you look at aviation is like, I've never had a perfect flight. I don't know about you, but I've never yeah. had one. And the thousands of sorties that I've flown, there's always been a missed radio call, a missed altitude. You know, yep. I just haven't landed with my gear up or hit the mountain yet. You know? <laughs> and, and, and hopefully, yeah. and even landing with your gear up isn't necessarily fatal, you know, but yeah. Yeah, I'm with you, man. You know, I, I think we might have talked about it in one of our calls. I, I did that article that got published in Business Insider about perfection. Yeah. And I remember being a young pilot looking at uh, my role models. And at the time, you know, looking at the guys at Top Gun who were the Top Gun instructors that kind of represented the, the, the pinnacle of, of fighter aviation in my world. And I just assumed that these guys, to be a Top Gun instructor, you had to be perfect. Uh, and then when you get to these places, it's a place like Top Gun, which is just nothing but the best pilots in the world, you realize perfection doesn't exist. Perfection right. is a lie. It's a myth. It's not true. And when you hear people talk about, we need to execute perfectly, or we need fall ex execution or flawless outcomes or, or perfect this, you're actually setting yourself up to fail and you're setting yourself up for a bigger disaster than if you just made it clear that that's not possible. Because what I find, if you tell people, hey, we need perfection today. Hey, we need to execute perfectly today. They're going to hide things from you. Yeah, they're going to lie sure. to you. Yeah. 
from you. And that's the worst thing. And, and perfection, I, I talked about in that article and, and I've, I've talked about it several times. The definition of perfection is finding all your mistakes. <laughs> right. Um, Right. That's what it is because there is no such thing as executing perfectly. And if you tell your people around you, that's what you expect from them. They're going to want to deliver that for you. And they're going to overlook a whole series of really small mistakes that if you just brought it out and talked about it, everybody could learn from the things you did wrong and then actually get better, faster, and be more effective uh, than the, hey, we need perfection today. And if we don't have it, it's going to be disaster. Well, I got news for you. There is no such thing as perfection. And the worst thing you can do is keep your mistakes from other people because then you don't learn and then you don't get better. And then you really are setting yourself up for a disaster. Yeah, well said. I mean, we've all seen that. We've seen that with our kids, with our relationships or people we've worked around. You're right. If you're, if you're striving for perfection or failure is not an option or there's a zero defects mentality, yeah. man, it, it just cre- things get swept under the rug. You're absolutely yeah. right. And, and, right. and you become stagnant and eventually you, you wither away. But I mean, if you have this, I, if you want to make a decision that's radically, I always like that, that saying you're always one decision away from radically changing your life. And if there's one decision that everybody could make today, it's just stop worrying about being wrong, you know, and, <laughs> and embrace and embrace the failures, embrace the mistakes. I mean, think about when you came back from a, 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 a sortie or whatever in the debrief. What did you guys do? You, you stood up in front of everybody. You know, picture yourself at a red flag or whatever doing it. What did you do? You talked about what you did well, but you also hit on with confidence. Hey, I didn't do this so well. I, 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 you didn't dwell on it. You didn't, you know, beat yourself up over it, but you just talked about it like you're talking about your successes, right? I mean, wasn't that yeah. your experience in the debrief? It, that's how every debrief, debrief is. And remember when I was talking about Top Gun, I, I looked at these guys and kind of put them on a pedestal and just presumed, man, these guys are just perfect. You know, like you said, they're zero defect guys. They just don't make any mistakes. You know, in retrospect, obviously that, that's laughable, but I learned that that's not true from them. Right. And I relay this all the time to people, you know, like I said, working in business or working with people, you know, we have role models. We all have people we aspire to be and people we look up to and people we want to be like. And if we get to spend time with those people that are the most influential people in our life, when they tell you great stories about things they did, it's really interesting. You want to hear about their successes and things they've done well. But what's really more powerful than that is someone you look up to and you have sort of created this, uh, this aura about them that they're perfect. It's so much more powerful to reveal your flaws mm-hmm. than it is to tell people how good you are. Because after a while, you tell them the story about how great you are, people are going to sort of stop listening. But if you're the mo- most credible person uh, and this great uh, um, leader that people aspire to be and all you do is talk about your flaws – your credibility, A, goes through the roof and people learn so much more from you. And I was in an organization where the people who I assumed were the best pilots in the world, all they did was tell me the things they were doing wrong so I could benefit from that. And that really taught me, you know, also from a humility piece, if you want to be a great leader, talk about the things you did wrong, do it publicly, do it in front of people, accept that you're not perfect, period, ever, forever, and tell people what you've done wrong. And man, as a leader, you're unstoppable at that point. Hey, we'll get back to this fascinating conversation with Dave Burke here in just a moment. But I, as promised, I wanted to talk to you about my good friends at FreshBooks who are sponsoring this program, and I'm so glad they are. You know, just as one of the biggest lessons I've learned from working in the Marine Corps was not to eliminate the chaos, but to get comfortable with it. And uh, Dave certainly reinforces it from his experience as well. It's like if if we can learn and take pages from the playbook and how the Marine Corps deals with chaos or combat forces deal with chaos then couldn't we apply it in our everyday life? And I say yes. Well, FreshBooks is one of those solutions that helps me deal 
and thrive within a chaotic environment. You know, if you can imagine when I'm flying full time for American Airlines, coming back to consulting work, getting proposals out, coaching clients, heading off to do a keynote speech somewhere, and then producing this show, I'm always racing against the clock trying to wrap up multiple projects. And that's just the life of the entrepreneur. And uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. Is it challenging? Of course. But our friends at FreshBooks believe that the rewards are so worth it. They are entrepreneurs developing a solution for freelancers like myself and you. The working world has changed, like I said before at the beginning of the show. And with the growth of the Internet, there's never been more opportunities for all of us to be self-employed. I literally think this is the best time to be alive on the planet. And to meet this need, FreshBooks is excited to announce the launch of an all-new version of their cloud accounting software. I started using this, and it's the best thing I have ever done for my business. It's been completely redesigned from the ground up, and it's custom-built for exactly the way that you work. And it's really the simplest way to be more productive, more organized, and most importantly, to get paid quickly. It helps me thrive in a chaotic environment. The all-new FreshBooks is not only ridiculously easy to use, it's packed full of powerful features where you can create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds, branded to your to your look. You can set up online payments with just a couple of clicks and get paid up to four days faster. No guesswork. You can see exactly which ones are draft, which ones are sent, and which ones have been paid. And you can see when your client has received and read your email and read your in- invoice. So it puts an end to all those guessing games. Look, great offer today for all you listeners out there. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to all of you out there. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash dose and enter dose of leadership in the how did you hear about us section. FreshBooks is rapidly changing how we do business today. All right, back to the great conversation with Dave Berg. When we talk about authenticity and vulnerability, that's what we're talking about, the strength in that, the power in that. You and I have both sat there, and, and we, we, I know when I went in the Marine Corps in, in the beginning, and, and I had in my mind to be this, you know, kind of warrior-type scholar leader that I wanted to be, that I had to emulate these kind of flawless characters <laughs> and it was in short order, and even at TBS, and you saw some of these guys that had been in Vietnam, and and they talked about how they they jack things up, and you saw them with tears in their eyes, talking about you know the mistakes they made, and the and you're like wow, you know, and they didn't they weren't up there pounding their chest and showing you their latest you know skull tattoo on their forearm or whatever, you know, yeah. <laughs> they're sitting there, they're sitting there with this tremendous sense of humility, but at the same time, this kind of this presence about them that was. That, that exuded confidence because they were being authentic. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's so much more captivating. The, the best leaders are the people that do exactly what you just described. And we all know people that are like that. And we all know people that want to come off as they're perfect and great. We know what those people are like. Uh, those people are arrogant. Those people aren't the people you want to migrate to. They're not going to be the people you want to follow. Uh, and I think the irony is the fear of revealing our mistakes because we, we don't want to be flawed. We want to look perfect in front of our, our, our team. We want to look perfect. That's actually the thing that prevents us from being as effective as a leader as we can be. And once you cross that bridge of, hey, people aren't going to run away from me when I tell them what I did wrong. They're going to run towards me to learn from it. That's when you you're, the, the power and the influence of, of great leadership really comes to the front is when you say, hey, guess what? I'm just like you. I'm flawed in a million ways. Let me tell you as many of them as I can so you get these lessons learned from me. And then and then what you do is you create a culture where everybody around you says, oh, I guess that's just how it is around here. We talk about our mistakes. Right. All of a sudden, you got people volunteering mistakes that they made that nobody would ever know about. And I learned that as a single seat guy. I flew by myself in the cockpit. 
I made a million mistakes nobody ever knew about, things that I did wrong, things I, I, I made mistakes on in the cockpit that I could have just kept to myself. And for a long time, I did because I didn't want to tell people about things I did wrong. And one day I kind of realized I can teach people and be a better leader and be a better instructor if I let them know about what was going on in my co- cockpit by myself. And people shockingly understood that I wasn't perfect and they learned from that and my credibility and my ability to lead was much better when I turned the corner and started doing that. And I can tell you, my life, like I said, radically changed when I just stopped. And it was through aviation where I learned that stopping worrying about being wrong. And I, I, I can't remember the first instructor that told me this, but it was early on and, you know, and, and you've seen this and it's easy to armchair quarterback whenever mishaps or something happens, you know, and, but I, most professional aviators I find, you know, when something happens, they're like, Oh crap. They know that could have been them. You know, they go, it's those that have, and those that will, that's what I heard from some, you know, it's like when you do a hard landing and you're like, "Huh?" those that have, and those that will, you know? And so I think if you always go and I think professional aviators do that, they know they're confident in their abilities, but just like every time I get on a plane and I touch the side of the fuselage and going, you know, Hey, Hopefully I have enough, you know, humility to, to not think that this thing can't get away from me in, in short order. And I think that's a healthy way to look at life and business. It's not a morbid way to look at it. It's just a healthy, it's that humble, teachable spirit that, that needs to come forth for great leadership. Yeah. And that's, you know, we talk about in aviation, you know, it's a cliche. We say it all the time. We say complacency kills. Yeah. Uh, but we, we say that because complacency kills. That's yeah. exactly right. And I can't think of Rich, I can't think of a single mishap that I haven't seen either on a debrief or an aftermath or watch real time or analyze where there was a part of me that didn't empathize and say, I've been so close to that several times. I know it. I know it. Not one, even, even the really bad mishaps, the real mishaps, I understand what was going on. Uh, And, you know, you certainly want to learn from those things, but uh, I don't know of a single pilot in the world that doesn't have a way to put themselves in the exact same position and say, man, that could have been me. Yep. Several times, several times over. Uh, and so just because you kind of left your aviation career unscathed like I did, you don't look back and go, well, you know what that means? That means I was better than those guys. No. It's just, ridiculous way yeah. to think. Yeah. Um, and that's right. It translates elsewhere. Uh, it, it translates to everything. Um, and in, in a business that, you know, you, you want to be on your game, you want to be as good as you can possibly be. You, you certainly want to strive for as close to perfect as you can get. I have witnessed... I can't count how many tens of thousands, if not more aviation events, either from in or outside the cockpit that I've seen in my career. Not one single thing involving aviation I've seen since the day I stepped foot on an airplane until the day that I retired by me or anybody else was ever perfect. Not one. So it just doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Uh, so we should stop worrying about it. And what we should start doing is, is like you said, start making decisions, start taking actions and learning from our mistakes. Ironically, the more mistakes you make up front, the better you're going to be and the faster you're going to be better. Uh, and if we put that off and delay it and avoid it and pretend like it didn't happen, you're just setting yourself up for failure and you're setting yourself up. I'm sorry, setting your people up around you for failure as well. And that's the real damage there is when you do it to the people around you. Yeah. It's like, Holding back the decision and the part of what you're getting at in the key element of the decision making piece is the timeliness of it. And uh, that is where people get hung up. That's where the stagnation, the mediocrity starts to take over is because you're not timely in your decision and how you get there, how you get to that 75% solution before you pull the trigger. You know, you need to define what that 75% is, but you need to pull that trigger and use that, you know, experience, intuition. And I, 
I'm a huge proponent of this, and I know as an aviator it gets honed, but I think I don't think we give enough credence or enough um, authority to the how powerful our instinct is, right? Every major, every significant decision I would contend that you've made in your life, inside and outside the cockpit, has some, finally been boiled down to intuition. I would, I would, I would gather. Yeah, and and actually, to, to reinforce that, what you're saying, that gets better over time the right. more you do it. It's like a muscle. And yeah, find that. Yeah, you, yeah, you get that. You know that the difficult training. You actually get better at doing it over time, and your instincts improve and get more refined and more effective, and you can start making decisions faster. And the only way to do that is to put yourself through as many repetitions as possible. To do it as many times as you can, make as many decisions, take as much action as you can. And you get better and better and better at it. You know, you don't get good at things by thinking about them and never doing them. You can't play sports by just reading a book about sports. You got to get out on the field and play sports. And it's great to prep. It's great to study. It's great to understand the things that you're doing. You absolutely have to do that. that. We do that in aviation all the time. We prepare hours upon hours. But you can't get good at flying an airplane unless you're inside of an airplane. And it's, that's true for everything in life. And getting comfortable with making those decisions, I think, like you said, it's what refines our intuition in making those decisions. And that's how you get good at it. And pushing it to the limits of, of what the, the plane's capable of doing. It's a great analogy of what to do with all your decisions, right? I mean, you're never yeah. going to – that's one thing I loved about military training and aviation. I mean, you did it safe. You, you know, it wasn't crazy, but you did. You pushed it to, you know – as close as you can yep. to absolutely losing control of it, right? Because that's how yeah. you got confident. Right? And if you can't take advantage of the full capability of, of either what you're doing or what your piece of equipment is doing, somebody else will. And that person is going to beat you. Right. So you've got to get comfortable right on those little margins, those little areas of opportunity. And, and you also have to know where those limits are because if you go past the limit, you actually perform worse. And so mm-hmm. you do need to know where that is. And you can't get comfortable operating at those very tiny thin margins unless you get out to those tiny thin margins. Yeah. You know, if the airspeed limit is, is, you know, a hundred knots and, and you like to fly at, uh, you know, just five, 10 knots away from that, somebody's going to outperform you and eventually they're going to beat you with that. That analogy, that's true with everything. Yep. Got to get comfortable uh, with those small razor thin areas. And, and you can think of it in business too. If you're not comfortable making hard decisions and your competition is, they're going to beat you. They're going to make more decisions faster. And even if they're wrong out of the gate, they're eventually going to catch up and bypass you. And they're going to run you into the ground while you're sitting there analyzing one more data set or doing one more run on the numbers because you're afraid to, to take responsibility for the decision. And, and that's the difference between successful companies and companies that, that are failures. And that's why smaller companies or weaker companies or companies that don't look as good on paper, that's why they beat their bigger, stronger opponents is because they take action faster than they do. And that's how the underdog uh, can beat someone who, who on paper has more resources or better training or better equipment or better money or whatever it is that uh, we use to quantify who, who's supposed to win. It's actually the team or the person or the business that takes action faster than the other ones they're the ones that end up winning yeah and you look at i mean historically all the major so many of the major battles decisive battles uh, throughout history it was a series of kind of average decisions made in a timely manner yeah that won the day and i would much rather have a situation or a culture anyway where we made decent decisions in a timely fashion even mediocre decisions at times uh that may even set you back some, but you would, you're always going to get across 
to the objective yeah. quicker than you may not even get there at all if you try to, like I said, analyze it every single time and make the perfect decision. I can't tell you how many times I've seen in the corporate arena, places I've worked and even places I've coached where there's still this myth and this idea that, and oh, I stood up there in the place that I worked and I'll never forget my CEO did his annual meeting and he was telling all of us, we, this quarter and this next year that we're facing, we have to become the best planners on the planet. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Yeah. And he's like, if we become, it all starts with the planning. And if we become the, perf- the perfectionist planners, that's what he said, then, oh then we, and I'm like, it's all about the execution. It's about the outcome. It's not about yeah. the plan, you know? And, yeah. and I think sometimes people have the, the reason why you plan. I mean, planning is required I and mean, we have a flight plan, but we don't gauge our success on each of the individual, you know, waypoints that we're hitting. We gauge our success on if we achieved what we were trying to achieve at the outset, you know, the outcome yeah. is important. The waypoints are there to, to gauge your progress, but man. Yeah. You're spot on. I mean, the only thing that matters is whether or not you accomplish the objective, whether you're effective or not. I mean, that's the thing that measures success or not. And, and the irony about planning and look, planning is important. You definitely need to have a plan. You want to build a plan. You want to get people to understand the plan. You want to go execute the plan. But like you said, it's all about the execution. And the reason is, is that plans never work. They always have to change during execution. You never implement the plan as exactly how it's planned. Never. Plan and things go wrong. Things change. Things happen. The environment around you uh, changes. Things you can control, things you can't control. And so the idea that it's all about the planning, look, planning is important. You should definitely have a plan. It's execution is it's going to win the day. I mean, that's Look, the story of the Marine Corps, that's why you hear stories of Marine Corps, you know, battalions holding off regiments and divisions of the enemy. It's because, first, like I said, you got to have a good plan. You got to be able to go into it with something that people can understand and know why they're doing what they're doing. But it has to be tethered around the outcome you're looking for, not just the steps in the process to get there. So you get too wrapped up around the steps in the process, you lose sight of what the outcome's supposed to be. And when things get chaotic, which they always will, people will know how to make decisions by themselves. They'll yeah. come back to you and go, well, we're supposed to be this phase in the plan. It's not happening. What do we do? People understand the outcome. Then it's execution that matters. And that's where everybody needs to get to is, is executing uh, in support of the outcome for the team or outcome for yourself or whatever it is that you're working on. Uh, you get wrapped up around the plan. Um, that's a killer, man. It's a killer. Well said. How did you get involved with Echelon Front? I mean, I know that uh, you've had a history with the SEALs in your uh, Marine Corps career, but uh, yeah. r- refresh me with that story. How did you, how did you come to meet them? So I was lucky enough, I, you know, I was a pilot uh, when I left Top Gun, I went on a fact tour. So I was a Ford air controller and I ended up doing uh, a combat fact tour in Ramadi in Iraq in 2006. Uh, and I showed up to that same um, war torn city uh, in 2006 at the exact same time. Uh, Jocko Willink brought Task Unit Bruiser uh, and one of his platoon commanders was, uh, was Leif Babin. So Jocko and Leif were in Ramadi around the same time that I was. And we showed up at the same time with the same tasking, which is support uh, an, an army div- uh, brigade combat team that was implementing a new approach to trying to take back the city. And we ended up working closely together for most of that deployment. So basically every major combat operation that we did in Ramadi during the time I was there, I was working with Leif and Jocko's team. Uh, as a Marine Ford Air Controller. And so we just found that we collaborated well together. I brought some unique capability uh, that could help them do their job. 
and they brought obviously unique capability that, that helped as well. And we just found a way to work well together. And as you might guess, you know, environment like that, Ramadi 2006, um, we suffered a lot together. Uh, we endured a lot. We, we accomplished a lot, but it was a very formative experience. You know, those guys, obviously, I consider to be some of my closest friends in the world. When Leif and Jocko started their company, Echelon Front, and when they wrote the book, Extreme Ownership, the backdrop was our deployment together. So all the things, all the lessons, all these stories they were telling and where they learned these lessons from, I was there for a lot of that. And it resonated very powerfully with me. And Leif had asked a few times if I would consider joining those guys. And, and I was still on active duty. And when I finally left, left active duty, I let them know. And, and they asked me to come on board. And, and I've, I've been with them ever since. Uh, and it's awesome because, A, they're obviously two of the most quality human beings in the world. But they've find a way to, they found a way to, after leaving the military to still contribute to something that, that matters, have real meaning and value in what they're doing. And that's teaching leadership principles uh, that make people better make companies better make the country better uh, and make us uh, better at the things that we're doing. And it's all from that backdrop of that time that we spent together, which as you might guess, 11 years ago, it never occurred to me uh, that we'd be working together in the future. Um, so I'm, I'm, I can't tell you how lucky I feel to, to be back connected with those guys. That's great. I love that story. I love the fact that you're you're with them. You're you're a perfect uh, addition to to them. I think the world of them, and and I love what you guys are doing. So, uh, how can people learn more about you, Echelon Front? What are you doing? I mean, what, what personally, what do you got going on in your world on the leadership front that you want the world to know about? Yeah. So, Echelon Front is um, it's. It's an awesome organization of guys. It's, it's me. Uh, I talked about Leif and Jocko uh, and another SEAL from their team, a guy named JP Donnell, all, all amazing guys. Um, and the, the center, the epicenter of the company is about leadership. Leadership is the most important thing in the world. It is a solution to every problem. And in the world where we overlook uh, that and we look to management techniques or, or mantras or, or different philosophies, we overlook the power of being a good leader and the influence that has. And so the book that Leif and Jocko wrote and what we do as a company is implementing and helping people implement fundamental, simple, executable leadership principles. Like I said, these are things that are very easy to understand. Look, no joke, they're very hard to do, um, but it's captivating because um, people understand when they see what we're talking about and where it comes from. Um, that they can make real change, they can make real imp implementation changes uh, immediately and, and get huge returns on that. And you're helping people get better at doing what they're doing. Echelon Front as a company uh, is just the guys, the, the four of us that just want to make um, leadership, people understand that leadership is the most important thing and make people better leaders. And it just helps everybody around you. And it helps your personal life, your professional life, your work life in all aspects. Uh, and so to be a part of that, it's, it's critical for me having left the Marine Corps to try to find something that had real meaning. Uh, and I've certainly found that with these guys, you know, we're, we're busy as heck. We're all over the place. You could certainly get information. Uh, just go to the echelonfront.com website or just send an email at info at echelonfront.com or they can just email me, Dave at echelonfront.com. I'm sure people, uh, could reach out to them. They want to connect with me, but the company's incredible. Uh, the guys are incredible and, and it's great to be a part of something that has real meaning. Well, it's great that they, you know, the universe steered you guys together. Uh, and it is funny yeah. how, you know, you never know how those connections are going to um, pan out, but certainly it came through some authenticity and uh, it's, it's paying huge dividends. And you're absolutely right. Every problem that we're faced with, I don't care how instrumental they seem, they are solved with this common sense leadership. And, and um, 
so proud, yeah. so proud and, and privileged to know you uh, and you guys at Echelon Front and um, proud to have you in the Dosa Leadership Tribe. I, I just love this conversation. We could talk for hours about stuff. Yeah. And-, <laughs> <laughs> and we will. I know you and I will stay connected. And look, I feel the same way. You've got just some amazing guests. And I love listening because I think you say it very well. We're talking about common sense leadership here. Um, and, and look, I think it's critical. Read. People should read as much yeah. as they can get their hands on. And, and some of it will resonate and some of it they'll identify with and they'll implement. Some of it they won't and, and they'll recognize that it doesn't necessarily work for them. Uh, so I would never downplay the value of seeing how other people attack problems and seeing how other people uh, implement processes to, to do better. But leadership is what matters. That's the difference between success and failure. It's leadership. And for every bad process, every error, everything that's going on in the company, there's a leader that's tolerating that. Uh, And so instead of getting wrapped up around the process itself or the methodology or the approach, you need to focus on the person that's allowing that to happen and what leadership quality is preventing them from just making, like you said, a common sense change uh, to just do a better job or, or, or to train better or, or do whatever you need to do to solve that problem. And it always comes back to one thing, leadership. Yep. That's it. That's the problem or that's a solution to every problem in the world. And there's no other way around it. Yep. Amen. It's the reason why this show's here. That's the reason why you guys do what you catch on front. And uh, yeah, I love it. And uh, you're a great American. You're a great <laughs> Marine. And I just, I love the, I love this conversation and, and uh, here's to, to many more. And, and thanks for coming on the show. How can people connect with you? Thanks, brother. I feel the same. Like I said, you know, they can email me. I'm, I'm easy. Dave at echelonfront.com or, you know, I'm on Facebook, uh, uh, Dave Burke there. And you can certainly find me uh, on Twitter. I think it's David R. Burke on Twitter. Uh, but the easiest way to just go to Echelon Front. We do a lot of talking on, on the website there too. We actually have um, an area on there where, where people send in questions and, and reach out to us and we interact uh, kind of like a blog interaction there. And we're, we're all available. We're all able to connect with, with anybody and, uh, uh, Leif, Jocko, and JP would tell you the same thing. Uh, we love getting connected with uh, individuals and companies out there that are just looking to improve, uh, and it's awesome to be a part of it. And, and obviously, man, I feel the same. It's been been great to be connected with you, and we have some long history together there. Uh, the Marine roots are, are deep, man. They're powerful, mm-hmm. and it's great to be a part of it. Amen, brother. All right, thanks for coming on the show. We'll talk soon. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. Go to richardryerson.com or doseofleadership.com. Fill out the contact page and reach out to me. Let me know where you're at your leadership journey. Also, if you want access to my brand new online leadership course to help become a better leader, go to LegacyLeaderBlueprint.com. Fill out your email and you gain access to a free 12-minute video that will reveal the top secrets of leadership and also show you how you can gain access, exclusive access, to my online leadership course. That's LegacyLeaderBlueprint.com. Hope to see you on the inside. Thanks for tuning into the show.